what a great session we had. The next session, I'm delighted to bring our friends from Penske Racing Sharks. I have watched uh, Jim's webinar before. It is an absolute genius. Uh, you know, when it comes to suspension, he has a way of explaining everything. And, uh, and so I'm absolutely delighted. Before we start, I would like to remind everyone that we had tons of questions in the chat this morning. Now, when you put your question in chat, you have two options. You can ask, uh, uh, send your question to all panelists or all panelists and attendees. So you have that questions, Zoom set it up automatically to panelists. But if you want to share your question with the audience, all you need to do when you type your questions, say, I want my questions to go to panelists and attendees. That makes it more fun. So it's up to you. I have a technical question uh, because we have you logged in under Aaron, but we also have uh, James there. So is that the same? Because usually we have you under Jim. So is this the same one, Jim? Is that correct? Yes. Yeah. Okay, perfect. We just want, so we'll leave that one. You guys are set up. It is nine o'clock. Joe Castello is going to be your host. Joe, you're in charge. We'll see you guys in 50 minutes. Thank you for being with us. Thank you, Francisque. Appreciate it. Once again, welcome back, everyone. Good morning and welcome Epart Trade. Friday, what a great week it has been. We've had so much fun, and now this is something that I'm super excited about. It's folks from Penske Racing Shocks going to join us, Aaron and Jim. And this one was teased to me. I like this is an area that, uh, frankly, has been touched upon many times throughout the week uh, in terms of racing shocks and getting that power to the ground, generating the grip and your exposure across multi-facets of racing and motorsports is just second to none. So welcome and thank you. And uh, let's uh, dive in. Aaron, Jim, take it away. What do you got? Well, thanks for having us. Uh, first off, this is a great, uh, great thing you guys are doing here. Uh, this time of year, I think everybody's used to uh, traveling somewhere to a show. Um, and it's uh, unfortunate we don't get to see everybody in person, but this is great what you guys are doing, putting this on for everybody, all the racers that are out there. We know a lot of the trade shows, a lot of people can't get to. So this platform hopefully allows everybody to ask questions, feel free to uh, gather information on what's coming up new for us next year. And uh, we've been watching throughout the week and you guys are doing a great job. So first off, thanks for doing this for us. Oh, of course. Well, you know, I've had very little to do with it, but I'll take the credit anyway. That's good. So yeah, so we um, it, it's been it's been a crazy year for everybody, but obviously racing's been uh, been continuing, and we've been pushing really hard here at Penske Shocks. Uh, we're we're really excited with a lot of the current racers and champions that have that have been uh, racing this year. Obviously, everybody's trying to get back to normal. Hopefully, 2021 we can get back to normal. Uh, we we've been excited this year to to have a lot of success from, from the top down. Um, I, I think our, our biggest one this year is being able to celebrate uh, another world championship uh, with a group uh, overseas there. So that's very exciting for us to be a part of that. And like you said, we deal with all forms of racing, everything from uh, Formula One all the way down to our grassroots racers, uh, dirt, dirt drivers, dirt racers, late models, modifieds, whatever it might be, ATV riders. Uh, this year we won uh, another cross uh, cross country championship with our ATV division. Uh, so it's it's been keeping us busy this year, and we're real excited to uh, jump forward into 2021. Excellent, very exciting. So, um, 
for the people out there who are, I would imagine people are logging on specifically to see this, and we can see it in our numbers, is this is going to be very educational. You're going to walk us through um, many different aspects of why it's better. But one thing that I found to be interesting is you have so many great relationships worldwide, except everything is made right here in America in, in Reading, Pennsylvania, which I think is uh, fantastic and music to a lot of people's ears. Uh, yeah, I can comment on that. Um, part of uh, part of our success, as Aaron mentioned, is uh, supplying from the top down. Um, and uh, I think the world would um, agree that Formula One is the pinnacle of motorsport. Um, so you know, we've been a fixture in that in that paddock for 30 years, um, supplying many many teams. Um, and and it's you know we get a lot of um, we get a lot of credit for uh, our support and our response um, in, in that market, um, bringing uh, a lot of technology to that market, and um, and it all comes down to how we're how Penske Shocks is sort of set up. You know, our, we are a small company, um, which allows us to stay agile enough to support very demanding customers overseas um, at, at the highest level. Um, so uh, currently right now, it's kind of like the best kept secret here in Reading, Pennsylvania is we, you know, historically and uh, routinely are, are supplying four to five Formula One teams directly from, uh, from our headquarters here in Reading. Um, all the dampers are completely designed, built, um, and supported here uh, from, from this place. Um, so, um, and, and, you know, we, we have a good reputation of not, um, you know, not sharing confidential information. You know, if, if we did, we'd be in trouble and we wouldn't have such a, such a, good, uh, a, a good market share as we do. But we learn a lot from Formula One. A lot of our technologies are developed there and then they, they kind of cross-pollinate to everything from NASCAR to short track to you name it. So it's been, it's been really good. But again, it really comes down to the response and, and, and is doing, going above and beyond above and beyond and, and, uh, and making things happen for our company. Excellent, excellent. I see Jim has got his uh, screen shared. And so I'm uh, under the uh, assumption that uh, you're gonna walk us through a bit of a uh, PowerPoint or a presentation. We've got some questions already queuing up in the comments section. I encourage people to uh, do that. If you have a question uh, out there around the world, put it in the comments section. We will get to it. These two gentlemen will be with us. There's a lot to learn and a lot of ground to cover. So uh, Jim, take it away. Sure. Um, uh, yeah. Uh, so Jim uh, touched on a little bit of, of what we do there. Um, our main our main area of focus, a lot of people ask is, what is different about a Penske shock, uh, a Penske shock compared to some of our competitors? And we have a design philosophy that we, that we really go into and look at all aspects of the, of the shock, the damper as a whole. Um, suspension systems and racing are, as, as sanctioning bodies evolve, a lot of rules obviously get placed uh, to control costs and things like that. But there's a lot of little differences that you can that you can design into any part of the vehicle to kind of uh, maintain an advantage. A lot of what we look at on the shock side of the of things is going to be friction levels, uh, hysteresis. They sort of go hand in hand. So the damper itself, you really never want to have that restrict or create a force that you can't control. So by using 
uh, aerospace quality materials, steels, uh, fluids, things like that. It really, it really allows your performance of your shock to be at its best. Allows it to change direction as quickly as it possibly can. Um, by having a shock that can change direction very quickly, keep your tire planted on the track, that's going to give you the most mechanical grip. It, it sounds easy, but it's very, very difficult. There's a lot of different moving pieces in a, in a shock. Uh, some of these shocks that we have laying on the table here, they're made up of a few hundred pieces. Uh, so all those pieces got to work and coincide with each other to produce a good quality damping curve uh, that the racer can ultimately use. And in the end, the driver feels everything that shock absorber is doing. I think that's why it's become such a large focus in all forms of racing. Uh, as drivers move through the levels and become more familiar with their vehicle and what they feel, uh, they really feel everything that shock absorber is doing. Um, it affects tire wear, it affects tire life. Uh, so it really is a very important part of, of, what, the, of what the overall handling package is doing. Um, and it comes down, once you get past the performance side of it, you come down to consistency, uh, the consistency of the shocks. It's rare to see one racer or one team have one set of shocks. Um, you're going to have multiple sets of shocks, whether you're trying different spring packages or just different setups. You need those shocks to be consistent to one another and repeat, um, as well as consistency over a long run. In, in the dirt world, we might run a heat race for the last 10 minutes, uh, but then also we'll go to Daytona and we'll run a 24-hour endurance race. Uh, we like to use the same parts in all of our shots. That's one thing that we were really proud about is a lot of our, a lot of the pieces that make up any different type of application, they use the same pistons, the same seals. That technology is sort of spread across all of our forms of racing, um, and we feel that's what, that's what works the best. Um, even in drag racing, um, we're lucky enough, uh, we, we were on Elite Motorsports, Eric Ender, she won her fourth championship this year in pro stock. Um, we're using all the similar materials, F1 technology on those type cars. They're only running uh, six seconds, but they're still utilizing the same equipment that, that we've designed and developed, whether it be an IndyCar, Formula One, NASCAR. Uh, so we sort of spread all that technology across the board. And again, in the repeatability consistency side, uh, drag racing, for instance, it's all about consistency, uh, repeatability in the parts. Uh, they're, they're looking at half a tenth here or there. So consistency and the quality of the part is second to none uh, in, in those types of racing. And we had a question in the comment section that uh... Excuse me, we had a question in the comment section about drag racing. It's funny that you should happen to bring it up about whether you guys are involved in drag racing or is that too small? And I, I think quite the opposite, right? You're on many of the top tier cars. You referenced Erica winning her fourth championship this year, but uh, Pro Stock, Pro Mod, um, you guys have got pretty strong exposure over there as far as I know. Yeah, yeah, we're, we're very big in, in drag racing. Um, I would say 90 Probably 98% of the pro stock field all use uh, the Penske shocks. Uh, we have great, alongside with our product, we have great relationships with dealers. Uh, drag racing, for instance, we have a dealer, uh, PRS Suspension. They travel to all the races, and they're the hands-on and the technical side of, of the support. They're talking to the teams, the crew chiefs, helping set up and revalve and do what they have to adjust the shock. Um, but from the pro stock, the pro mod, uh, top sportsmen, 
uh, you name it, we're involved in, in, in the drag racing. Uh, we're a big sponsor for PDRA this year. We are the Pro Nitrous uh, main sponsorship for that class. Uh, and again, we had the majority of the PDRA field as well, running running our equipment there as well. So drag racing, um, I'd say early on in our development as a company, maybe 20 some years ago, we were just dabbling in it. And then probably 10 years ago or so, we really put a big push into it. Uh, we were lucky enough to get paired up with Alan Johnson and, and Mopar. And that really pushed us into the drag racing scene. And we did a lot of development, a lot of work. Um, and it's where we're at today, where we have the majority of the field. We travel to the races. It works out extremely well. I don't know that people maybe appreciate how much of the performance, you know, they think all about, you know, engine. But uh, how much of the performance, especially in pro stock, is in the chassis setup and, and, and inevitably the shocks? Yeah, yeah. The drag racing world, it's come a long way. I think when we first started in there, as you said, it, it's all about engine. And obviously, horsepower is extremely important uh, when you're drag racing and it's such a short distance. Uh, but we learned a lot when we came in on the suspension side of just some of the, I would say, low-hanging fruit that some of the teams were leaving there. Because uh, as you said earlier, it's all about putting the power to the ground. And that's the great thing we're seeing about like a pro mod car. They have, they really have more horsepower than, than they know what to do with, especially off the starting line. Uh, so the suspension is everything. Uh, the suspension, the, the shocks, the springs, however you're setting that up. Uh, there, there's a lot that goes into it. And every year we're just learning more and more. Uh, we're getting pretty heavily involved also with some of the, uh, uh, some of the grudge racing guys, um, some of the street outlaw guys. And that, that's even more difficult. Um, where now they're going to a racetrack, but it's an unprepped racetrack. So you don't have that grip and hands around the track that's helping you. So now you're trying to grab hold with a 3000 horsepower car. Uh, you're trying to grab hold of a racetrack that doesn't have, doesn't have any spray on it or anything like that. So it becomes very difficult on when you add the power, how much you're adding. Um, it, it all works together. So uh, that's where we're lucky to be involved with really great teams, really great people that know what they're doing. And that just helps accelerate our product that we can then share with everybody. Excellent. Uh, quick question for you guys, as far as the, the presentation part of this, that is running off of your computer. I notice you've shared your screen. Uh, have we completed that? And if we have, maybe uh, unshare your screen just so we can see you guys a little more clearly, because um, we're in a tiny little box. Yeah, sorry about it. Yeah, we're, so that this screen portion is as as questions come up, we can pop back in there and share yeah. some of them. Sure. Uh, some of the questions that might come up. So. I just want people to see you guys there, and you got a pretty great presentation in and of itself. Um, but the way the program works, we get uh, really small out there when uh, when we share our screen. So we'll toggle back and forth. Uh, one of the questions coming from the chat section and. You know what's great about this is to be able to jump back and forth from all different forms of, of motorsport in terms of uh, road course racing where we're going now. When hitting curbs, what range of speeds, inches, seconds, etc., does the damper shaft see? Most uh, force versus velocity graphs go up maybe you know tenths of seconds when hitting curbs, damper shafts, etc., and so on. This is obviously math related, guys. So dive in. Um. So that's a great question, um, and it really relates to your application and the vehicle that you're using. Um, so the 10 inch per second, uh, right behind here is a shock dyno. So that's what we use to measure the performance of the shock absorber, very similar to an engine dyno. You're going to put it on there. You're going to give it a certain speed to run, and it's going to tell you how much force that shock's producing at that speed. 
Uh, so to answer the question, it really depends on the application of the car. If you take an open wheel car, for instance, an Indy car, they run off a um, push rod suspension. They have a different motion ratio than what you say maybe a street car has. Um, if we take a Mustang or a Mazda Miata or something to go to the racetrack, depending on the motion ratio and the angle that those shocks are mounted at, and depending on what curb you're hitting, it's going to be a different velocity. Um, we actually just did a, a test, a road test here recently with our own Mustang vehicle that we have, and we're supplying a new kit for them. And we were going out just driving around the streets here in Reading, and Pennsylvania is not known for the best roads, but <laughs> hitting some potholes and curbs and being able to take the data and understand what we were feeling in the car and then running it on our shock dyno, we were seeing well over 30 inches per second, um, which is, is very fast. If you put it on a shock dyno and see how fast that shock absorber is moving, it's a very quick input. Um, so for certain curves, you're, you're probably up around there at least, but again, it all depends on your motion ratio and what your damping levels and things like that might be. Um, but it, it's a good question, but it's great to have. That's where data acquisition is so key in your suspension and understanding what your suspension is doing. You really got to be able to, to capture that data and then replay it back to really understand exactly what you're seeing there. Excellent. More questions queuing up. I do like to mention, though, uh, at the start and a couple of times through the seminar for people that are coming in and coming out, uh, what, you know, where and how to get a hold of you guys because uh, you know people reaching out, maybe they're interested. We'll talk about who those people are going to be. But but what is the best way to get a hold of you guys and uh, to continue any uh, journey of information that someone might want to start? Uh, best way to get a hold of us um, through our website, uh, PenskeShocks.com. Um, you can go to our Facebook page, Penske Shocks, and and then uh, obviously you can call us anytime. Uh, 610-375-6180. That's our shop line. Um, any type of racing, any, any type of shock application. Uh, we have, we do a lot of things with aerospace. We make shock absorbers for anything that really needs shocks. But um, any any racer, I, we do get some questions a lot where racers are almost intimidated to, to call us. And I tell all of our racers, all of our, it doesn't matter if you're running a street stock or late model, uh, whatever it might be, don't ever hesitate to call us and ask questions. That's what we're here for. Well, you know, it's funny you say that because you mentioned that you service and work with several Formula One teams. And uh, I can see that the word intimidation coming up, like someone thinking, well, that's not for me because it's for Formula One. But I was so happy that you brought in drag racing. Of course, you know, Elite and Erica, the highest level but maybe a little more every man, but you guys make shocks for everyone. If you've got a quick and fast car, you're trying to go around a racetrack or down a racetrack, you can be helpful. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. I mean, the drag racing side of it, we got a lot of the, the street car type applications. Um, we, we are, we're a factory option on, on the Shelby S1000 Mustang that comes right from Shelby. Um, we do a lot of a lot of uh, a lot of foreign cars, a lot of imports, Mustang or um, Lamborghinis, Ferraris, uh, you name it. We again, if it has a shock, we've probably put something on there, um, or we can put something on there. Uh, and it goes all the way back to the older cars. I mean, we've done 60s. Uh, we just had a customer here who's restoring a uh, 50s Jaguar um, with a really old tight suspension that we're going to put shocks on. Um, so vintage type cars, we, we really, 
again, if it has the shock absorber, we can make something for it and put it on there. Excellent. Here's one from Dwayne out there. What range of shock speeds give the driver the feel? Obviously, motion ratio influences this, but uh, it's useful to have an idea of what range of shaft velocities give the driver the seat of the pants feel. Yeah, that's that's another that's a really good question, and we have a we have an example a few years back. Uh, we have what we call our semi-active system, and we actually got this piece, um, and we were working with it with uh, McLaren, and it was a piece that they gave us to try to get out into the racing world because they were no longer allowed to run it. Uh, so we developed it for different car applications just to really see what the driver's feeling, and it'll it was really an active suspension system, shock absorber that you could put on and then have say 10 different settings. And through a computer, you could just change these settings and completely change the damping curve. A uh, very important test that we did was with a high-end sports car driver with a Daytona prototype at the time. And we really just focused on a very short or very small section of the damping curve to see what he would feel. And the feel that this driver, and all drivers are different, I will say that, but this driver would only feel from zero to two inches per second, which is very low speed. Um, it really controls the attitude of the car, the platform of the car. Um, but that's what this driver was feeling from zero to two inches per second. And when we tried to tune anything out past two inches per second, he came in and really said, he goes, I, I don't feel a difference. And we were making drastic changes, changes, hundreds of pounds. Um, so that's twofold. One is, if you're tuning out past that and he can't feel it, it's, it could be a struggle for the engineer or the crew chief. But the nice thing about that is if you go to a shaker rig or if you run simulation, that's sort of free then for the engineer or the, or the crew chief to say, hey, if the tire is affected by anything out past that, if there's anything else we want to do out past that that the driver can't feel, then it all just comes down to the engineering side and you can do what you want. Um, now, when you start hitting curves and, and things like that, that is more high speed. That's going to be out past about five inches and further out. We like to say that's driver comfort. Um, while the driver might not want to feel those bumps, if the car is fast, in our experience, the driver will put up with it. If you, if you tune that out where he's comfortable, but the car is not fast, we'll definitely take the rough ride back and say, just I'll, I'll deal with the bumps. So. Comfortable is slow. I, I get it. I get it. Uh, you get some love out there also, Dave. Uh, let's see. Jerry says that Dave Reedy is the Penske guy with our genre of racing, dirt uh, mod stuff. He is amazing. Penske provides a great service through him at our level. So getting some love. Yeah, yeah. Dave, Dave's great. Um, he does all of our big block mod, all of our small block mod. Northeast modifies here around Pennsylvania. I mean, you can uh, a stone throw away. There's four or five tracks you can go to. And and the Northeast Modifies are really big here, and Dave's done a great job this year. Uh, we picked up some new teams this year. Uh, Mike Wooler, Jamie Wooler, that team, they've been running really good. Um, Andy Bacchetti, he's a new pickup that we had. He's had a really great year in the big block Northeast Mod. So that program for us is really gaining momentum. And, and uh, again, that's one we're looking forward to in 2021 for sure. So... We have learned and we see that, uh, you know, cost control is something that's on a lot of people's minds, whether whether or not that's a, a good idea. I've certainly had people indicate that the more a rules maker tries to control the cost, it just causes the increase of cost in other, other areas, right? As people hunt for speed. 
Um, but being that many racing series have tightened up the rules in so many different areas, and in some cases, lots of parts of the car are uh, spec or very strictly controlled. Shocks are, are an area that there is some freedom. And so when people are looking to go faster, I would imagine they are coming to you guys. Speak on that a little bit and how you can help people who are in series where there are some strict rules about all aspects of the cars uh, that the shocks are an area where they maybe can find some performance. Yeah, the rules are always, um, they're always, they're always tricky. I mean, you always want to be above board and make sure you're reading the rule book very clearly. Um, there's some very simple rules in, in some of the, like the dirt modified series where you have to run a steel body or you have to run a steel shot. Um, those ones are, are pretty easy. They're pretty cut and dry. Um, the rules themselves, as they develop, like you said, when somebody makes a rule against something, it's usually because somebody else found an advantage with it and it's making them faster. So to control the cost, they will try to implement those rules and keep some of those things down. Um, and it's our job to stay within the rules, but also make our customers go faster. So I would say NASCAR really started this back in the 90s when the crew chiefs really evolved and started to become shot guys and, and understood. And even, even be, I'd say in the early 90s, late 80s on the IndyCar side with, with, uh, with, our, with our owner there, Roger Penske, I mean, it was really big about, okay, there's got to be something else that we can do here with the shock side of things. And that's really how we started. So the development and the continued development of the shocks is really, is very important. Um, all your big teams have their own engineers and or shock technicians. That, that's all they do. They work on the shocks all day long. Um, and really you're trying to find that balance between what your car wants, what your tire wants, but also what your driver feel is. In the end, it's, it's a human in that seat. He's the one controlling the vehicle or she, they're controlling the vehicle. So you have to have your suspension feel the way they want. Um, but it's hard. A lot of grassroots racers, a lot of, um, a lot of private racers obviously don't have the money to hire an engineer or to have a shock person on their, on their payroll. Uh, so that's where we come in. We, we really want to do all that for you. Um, I always tell all of our, our customers, we, we're involved as much or as little as you want. Um, so if you ever have a question, if you only have one set of shocks, we can help you tune those shocks. We can rebuild those shocks for you. Um, but we also like to try to give as much information and knowledge about our product um, and about shocks in general, general as we can. Um, for a long time, it's been thought of as shocks as this black magic and you gotta be some crazy whiz to work on them. And they're very, very simple. Um, the, I think the part that gets intimidating is there really is no limit to what you can do with the shock itself. Uh, we have probably over 60 different piston options you can run. We have thousands and thousands of shim combinations that you can run. Uh, so I like to tell people, if you can think of it, if you can think of a shock curve that you want to make, uh, there's a way to do it. It's just going to take time to do it. And if you think of it and it works and nobody else can get to that point, you're going to have a big advantage over the rest of the rest of the people you're racing against. All right. We've got some other questions out there. Um, one, I, you know, I wonder if this is a, a rally guy, uh, self-leveling coilovers for a 2003 to 2007 Subaru Forester. Uh, and, and so is, is that something that you have? Just a basic question. No, that there, that's going to be a special application with the self-leveling. Those are usually uh, some type of air system or air setup. Um, 
I don't want to say it's impossible because we do have some systems, but it would be very costly for that type of vehicle. Um, you're probably looking for more like an OE uh, just replacement um, that you would be able to put on there and, and take care of that. So. All right, next one from uh, uh, Stefan. Does the relatively small motion ratio of bell crank pushrod suspension create special challenges in tuning or better precision uh, or is it just the same curve uh, scale? Um, we, we find this a lot where um, our teams um, are, are changing the motion ratios a lot, especially in Formula One, where they're trying to get everything cupped in around the arrow uh, on, the, on the rear, especially. Uh, what that means for us is it essentially just changes the amount of damping we need to put in the damper um, to control that movement. So if it's a if the motion ratio is not ideal, you're going to have a very, very short stroke damper, and you're trying to do the same work in that in that stroke versus a much longer stroke damper, where the loads can be lower, the pressures can be lower. Um, so we take that into account, and we just size the components, um, you know, appropriately. We, you know, we have certain rules of thumb that we we stick to with internal damper pressures um, and, and sizes of, of components and flow rates. So as long as we keep those in check. You know, it's okay when you get those out of balance and, and you have like a very, 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 very stiff damper and a very, very small diameter. That's a, a very uh, not ideal situation. So we try to monitor that. But the other way, if you have a very long damper, very soft, it's always a compromise for us in terms of mass, size, and performance. Performance being key. But as we've seen, uh, again, especially places like Formula One. Um, the suspension takes a little bit of a backseat to the aero, uh, aero efficiencies and, and making everything smaller. Uh, I think you're going to see that change in 2022 uh, for sure when aero is a bit less and the tires more important. So I think you're going to see another sort of renaissance and damping technology in, in Formula One in 2022 when there's a lot more attention put on it. I'm looking forward to that. I think that's going to be uh, very interesting. All right, let's, uh, let's dive into... Uh, I know that you have many different types of shocks that you guys offer, but let's meld, meld that with the what shock is right for me. How do people um, go through that process and get as dialed in as they can be before they give you guys a call? Yeah, so that's always the big question. Um, and I, I would say right from my experience, um, there's a false assumption that more adjusters are better. Uh, we get a lot of people that will call up and uh, I want a four-way adjustable shock, but they don't know how to use it. So choosing the right shock, as we're showing here, first and foremost, it comes down to your rules. What can you run? And like you, you touched on before, a lot of sanctioning bodies have different rules. And we've seen it where somebody might want to buy a shock and they take the shock and they get to the racetrack and the, the tech officials like, hey, that's not legal. So the first thing is just make sure you know what shocks you can run. Um, and then really it comes down to, uh, again, your budget. That, that's, that's always the big thing in racing is what can you afford to run? And maybe a non-adjustable is cheaper, but that doesn't always mean it's gonna be cheaper in the long run. Uh, again, we have some smaller, uh, I would say entry level type, uh, like a dirt modified, they can only run a non-adjustable shock, but then you'll go into a guy's trailer and he has 50 shocks hanging there. Uh, where sometimes if you had a single adjuster or a double adjuster shock, that shock can cover probably 10 or 11, maybe 
up to 15 different types of shocks just by having two adjusters on it. So obviously those shocks would be a bit cheaper, uh, but again, that's the way some of the rules are written. Um, and then you're looking at the actual performance of the shock. What are you trying to do with the shock? Are you just gonna, is this just going on a street car that you're looking to have a better street ride, better performance there? Or are you taking this to the racetrack? Are you, are you looking for your best possible time that you're getting out of it? Um, and then obviously the maintenance side of it, these, these shocks are like any other part of a race car. Now I will say we've had customers who buy these shocks and they bolt them on a Corvette and we don't see them for 30, 40,000 miles. Um, so we're, we're excited that you can run these shocks that long, but it's like anything else. I get asked a lot, how often do I change my oil? Um, how do I take care of these shocks? Um, and I, I relate it a lot to an engine. It's like the more, the more you take care of the shocks, the more you change the oil, the more protection they're going to have, the better off they're going to be and the longer they're going to last for you. Uh, we, we look at some of the shocks that we just got from a, a NASCAR team and they're well over 15 years old and they perform like they did when they're brand new. Now, again, those guys are taking those shocks apart a lot and servicing them, uh, but they're working really well. So there, there's so many different options on a different on what type of shock you could possibly use, but it really comes down to the customer's application, what they're trying to do with it, and in the end, what their end result needs to be. Excellent. So, were, were you gonna jump in there real quick? Yeah, so uh, to touch on a little bit of the different kinds of shocks, um, yes. we jump to our slides there. there. There are a few different types that are out there from a design standpoint, um, and I think, the most common one that's out there right now is a monotube shock. Uh, so that, that simply is an inline shock that has a main piston um, with a separator piston that separates your nitrogen from your oil. Um, so the monotube itself, you can see your main piston in the middle, uh, the middle section of the body there. Um, when that is displaced, it pushes fluid over into the reservoir side. And then we have a separator piston there that separates your nitrogen from your oil. Um, that is your most, I would say your most common and basic shock that's been around for, for decades now. Um, we go to a, these are just different types of monotube uh, shocks themselves. So you can see here like the 7100 series all the way on the left there. That is our latest, our, our latest shock for actually dirt modified racers. Um, it's a non-bulb shock to conform to rules. Uh, but that is a full steel shock. So then we go to our 7120 there, that's a Formula V shock. And then we go all the way up through the 7300 there is a NASCAR shock. That's what all of the current cup cars, Xfinity, truck series, that's what they all run. Um, so you can see the monotube design is really littered across an entire array of different forms of racing. The 8760 on the end there, uh, the 8300 piggyback, that's what we use in drag racing. That's what we use in sports car racing. Uh, so you can see uh, across all forms of racing, we use very similar technology. Uh, one of the most, uh, I would go to the through rod next. That's probably one of the biggest questions we get asked is, okay, what about a through rod? Um, sprint cars are very big with through rods. Um, open wheel cars are very big with through rods. So the through rod is exactly what it sounds like. Instead of, uh, instead of that shaft, going into the body and having to displace fluid into another area. Uh, this has a through, this has a shaft that pokes all the way through the, the, the shock itself. Um, so you're not displacing any fluid. You don't need any nitrogen pressure. And that's really the advantage there. 
Um, if you were to take any of these shock absorbers on the table and push them down on the table, you're gonna have resistance right away. With a through rod, you don't have that nitrogen or that gas pressure resisting you. You can very slowly just push the shock absorber down. It's still gonna create a force based off whatever piston and chin stack you have, but you just don't have that gas force. Um, and that's a big question a lot of racers have is how gas affects our, our shocks. Um, and it does, it, it affects tire wear and feel and things like that. So that's where the through rod came about as an advantage to that. Those are other forms of through rods there that you see. Uh, the 9600 series, that's our IndyCar damper. Um, that's been on a few vehicles at Indy this year, done very well. Um, the 8780 in the center there, that's our GT3 platform uh, where the supplier, that's on a Bentley GT3. And then the 7700 series, that's a through rod as well. And we actually run that on our sprint cars. Um, so again, a, a wide array of uh, technology and a wide array of vehicles that the same type uh, shock absorber works on. Very good. Very good. Um, let's let's uh, talk a little bit about the evolution over the years, like you're blowing my mind, there's just the fact that the same shock is used on sports cars and drag cars uh, and just tuned differently. Um, let, let's talk a little bit about how these things have uh, evolved over the years, starting out uh, what, what they were. You know, I remember race cars in, in drag racing, in particular my area of uh, direct competition, people would get a worn out set of shocks for the front end of their car. And that was what they would do. And it's like, really? Uh, I'm sure we've evolved beyond that. Tell us. Yeah, I think um, the evolution of the shock itself, obviously there's been different designs like we were just covering there, your monotubes, your through rods, uh, there's twin tubes, there's a bunch of different types of shocks there that have, be, that have evolved, but really it comes down to the parts inside the shock. Um, we, like I said, we have multiple different pistons. Um, we have over 60 different types of pistons and that, that, that's really an evolution of racers. Um, racers come to us, whether it be drag racers or NASCAR or open wheel IndyCar, we have engineers or drivers or teams that come to us and say, hey, this is, I think this might work for, for a shock curve. How can I do this? Um, so early on, shock absorbers were really just linear. You're really just trying to control a spring rate. So a linear damping curve was very easy. So you go from point A to point B and draw a straight line, and that's pretty much a linear curve. Uh, but like the customer asked before about hitting a curve, um, if you hit a curve with a very linear shock, obviously the higher the velocity goes, the higher the force is going to go. So when that force goes really high, it's going to want to upset the car. Um, so I think probably a big evolution in, in dampers were, were, was the digressive curve. And that was saying, okay, if I'm on a linear curve here and I see a, a large spike, I don't want to be at 500 pounds say, I wanna be at 300 pounds, how can I do that? So a digressive piston came about and we can show you the type of curves here that we're talking about. So the red curve is more basic, very linear. And then we go to our, our gray curve there, which is our digressive curve. So you can see from zero to one, it's a very steep node. And that gives you a very good platform, very stable platform that drivers like to feel. But then when you hit a curve, you can see that actually the rate doesn't in, doesn't increase as much as it normally would. So we're actually a little bit more digressive um, and we can make that even flatter based off the valving and things that we put in there. Um, a few years ago, I'd say early 2000s, that blue curve um, is what we call our regressive curve. Now that there was a very good example of, it was a Formula One team at the time 
came to us with a drawing and said, hey, we want our shocks to be able to do this. Of course, we never had anything like that. So we went to work trying to figure out how can we do this. Um, the regressive curve worked phenomenal for hitting curbing and things like that. As you can see, at high speed velocities, we're actually, we can be softer than what we are at low speed velocity. So that allows us to make a very stiff shock. So your initial platform, the driver feel is very stable. Um, it controls the pitch and the roll of the car very well. But then when you hit a curb, when you hit a large bump, um, obviously it's softer. So it allows that wheel to travel back to the pavement very quickly. It allows the wheel to get out of the way of the curb and things like that. It doesn't upset the car. Uh, so the regressive valve, we've come a long way now with, 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 uh, with the evolution of the damping curve itself, just by different designs, different pistons, different shins. Um, but it's really at the request of racers and engineers or crew chiefs or drivers who, hey, this is what my car is doing. How can I fix that? Very interesting. Got some other questions out there um, in our comment section. Feel free to add a question. Can Aaron quickly discuss if the spring rate is changed, is it necessary to rethink the damping rates? And Dwayne. Yeah, that's a good, that's a good question. And, and, and yes, you do, because the shock itself, obviously you're just trying to control that spring rate. You're trying to control the energy that that spring is producing as it's compressed. Uh, so anytime you go stiffer in a spring rate or softer, you're obviously gonna be changing that energy that the shock is trying to control. Uh, and really that's where multi-adjuster multi shocks came out because now you don't have to have a different shock for every different spring rate. Now there are some, uh, obviously there's some trade-offs here and there, but depending on the percentage and the rate that you're going to be changing that spring, um, if you're going say from a 300 pound spring to a 500 pound spring, um, in one inch that's over 200 pounds of energy you've got to control now. So you're probably going to have to make a shock change or shock adjustment to that if you want to control the car. Again, it depends why you're going up in that spring rate as well. Um, the spring and the shock work as one. So you really got to have the two figured out together. Uh, a good shock curve and a bad spring probably aren't going to work. And a good spring package and a bad shock, they're probably not going to work. So they really got to work together to control that vehicle and do what you want it to do. What are the most important parts in a shock? I mean, it seems to me that, you know, We've learned a lot about materials over the course of the weekend. Uh, you said it's so simple, but it seems like black science to me. So roll, roll us through some of the, you know, the, the basic parts that are most important. Yeah, yeah. The, I mean, I think for any shock company, um, the piston is is the, the heart of the shock. It, it, it pumps the fluid through the shock. It controls things. Um, there's a lot of IP wrapped up in piston design, um, and and you know, you can get a lot of performance just from different piston types. As Aaron mentioned, we have probably 60 or 70 piston designs that was not just because we want to make a lot of money. It, 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 each application kind of came up uh, to address certain handling conditions or requests from customers. And they each found their own, um, their own advantage from that. So I'd say the piston's a big one. Um, and then uh, friction and, and seals, again, uh, again, if you can make that shock perform as efficiently as possible, um, you, you know, you're letting the damping mechanisms do what they're supposed to do and they're not overshadowed by, you know, friction and things like that, that are hard to measure and hard to uh, quantify all the time. Um, and then, you know, this company was built off of adjustable shocks. Um, so there's a lot of technology in how you get 
adjustment to the damping curve. So there's a lot of different mechanisms, uh, different um, devices we, we put in our shocks to control different parts of the curve or manipulate that. So it's an easy fix at the racetrack or uh, people are able to tune them uh, efficiently. Exciting. Uh, Bill is out there in the chat section and he's he follows IndyCar and kind of wants to understand a little bit better IndyCar shock parameters. I wonder, does he mean specifically at the speedway or, or uh, on road and street courses as well? And wants to know about simulator work and if shocks are something that is uh, tuned in simulator uh, in addition to on the track. That's a great question. Um, obviously with a lot of sanctioning bodies uh, trying to reduce costs, uh, at track testing is very expensive. Obviously you're putting miles on your engine, you're going through tires, uh, personnel at the racetrack. So simulation has become huge. Uh, and really, again, it started in Formula One. Uh, Formula One is the pinnacle of simulation right now. Um, they spend a lot of money on simulation. Uh, but with that simulation, they're becoming more and more accurate. They can model and represent almost every aspect of that car, including the shock absorbers and what force they're producing at what velocity. Um, Again, it comes with a price tag. Now, the simulation has become more popular in recent years, really because of the computing power that, that's out there. Um, years back, obviously, to have a computer that could run all this simulation and run all these different parts of the car, you needed a very special computer. As computers evolved and got better and got faster, now your simulation's getting better and faster. Um, so the better, yeah, simulation's getting great. It can definitely, it can definitely shortcut you to get a good baseline package. But I'm a firm, firm believer in you still have to trust that driver. Um, there's a lot of smart people out there. And I think if, if simulation was the end all be all, everybody would be at the same answer and everybody would be running the same thing. And that's definitely not the case. Uh, now, driver simulators are evolving quite a bit and they're learning more about what drivers like and how they relate to that in a simulation. Um, so I think every year from here on out, simulation is going to become more important. Uh, and modeling the parts and modeling the dampers. It's a very popular question we get asked by all race teams is how can we model these dampers for simulation? Uh, but in the end, it still comes down to the driver. The, the end all be all is that driver in the seat and everybody's human, every driver has a bad day. So um, they, they can't duplicate everything, that's for sure. Uh, we're coming down the home stretch here of this seminar, great stuff. I'm gonna ask you guys momentarily how to put our audience in contact with you. A couple more questions though. Let's uh, let's dive in. Uh, in terms of bleed, we hear racers talk a lot about bleed and the shock and how does bleed affect the shock's performance uh, and why is bleed so important? That's a term that we hear. If you could explain it for us, it would be great. Okay, so bleed, uh, bleed is very important. Bleed, what we're showing here on the screen is a simple bypass. It's a path that bypasses your shin stack. Um, so it's free flowing. And what that bleed is, that controls your low speed. Like the gentleman before asked, what, what part of the velocity is the driver really feeling? And it's really, most drivers are anywhere, I'd say five inches and below. So five inches and below, and that's really where your bleed is affecting. It's a bit, it's the real slow movement of the shock itself. And that, that is what bleed is controlled by. The double-edged sword here is if you use too much bleed, you can't control the shock now. So now the shock can't control that spring at those slow movements, and you would almost get like a Cadillac effect. So while you need bleed for tire wear, grip, 
and driver feel, too much bleed is not a good thing. Um, it's a great example if, if anybody out there has gone to a shaker rig, if you just put a lot of bleed in the shock, the shaker rig comes back and says, hey, you got a ton of mechanical grip. Obviously, if you go to the racetrack with no control in the vehicle, the driver's gonna be like, there's no way I can drive this, it's just all over the place. Your mechanical grip might be great, but obviously it's not something you could race. So there's that double-edged sword of how much bleed is too much. And again, this really comes down to drivers. Um, some drivers like a car that moves around and they can control the chassis that way. Some drivers, they have to have a very, very stiff platform. Um, so when you have to have a stiff platform, say like on an LMP car or an endurance type car where it's gotta be very stiff and stable, it's tricky to get bleed in there without the driver complaining and saying, hey, this car just moves around too much. Uh, but bleed is very important. Um, there's different ways to do it. You can just drill the piston and bypass it. You can use bleed shims. Um, there's a lot of different ways to introduce bleed. It all really comes down to the most effective way for your setup and what your driver is going to feel. Excellent, excellent. What about the future, guys? This has uh, been amazing to see the evolution of racing shocks and what you guys have been able to create. But 2021 and beyond, what can we look for from Penske Racing Shocks? Um, from our side, we're, we're obviously just want to keep producing and pushing as, as hard as we can. Um, we love uh, really what you guys are doing here. I think this has been this has been great. And I think a lot of from our side, we have some new products coming out, but I, we're going to be pushing very hard on the information side of things, the teaching side of things, the schooling side of things. Um, we love when racers call up and ask questions and they want to build their own shocks and they want to learn about them because um, ultimately that's what's going to make them better. And what we feel makes our product good is, hey, we can, we can just teach you about any shock absorber or suspension in general. Hopefully roads lead back to, to Penske shocks. So from our side, you're going to see a lot more out there information for all types of racers. Uh, we have some new products coming out. Um, and we look forward to seeing everybody at the racetrack and hopefully what you guys are doing, you're going to keep seeing us here on ePartrade and, and doing some more webinars and things like that just to better inform the racers of, uh, of what we can do for you. Exciting, exciting. And I see John and Francisque are already uh, coming on. We did have one more in the comment section. I'm going to get it in for Doug, who is so patient. Uh, when reading a dyno sheet, of an adjustable shock at which speed is a good starting point for general racing asphalt circle track? It's from Doug. Great question. So asphalt circle track, uh, the industry standard right now is a 10 inch per second. Um, and really that started with NASCAR back in the 90s. Um, and crew chiefs just wanted a sort of default graph to say, hey, I know what my shock is doing and they wanted to be, wanted to be able to compare them very quickly. So a 10 inch graph is a really good place to start. Um, as you start to narrow it back, I would look at a five inch per second graph and that's just gonna give you more detail in your low speed area. That's gonna give you more definition of what your bleed's doing. Um, and from a driver standpoint, tire wear, st tire wear standpoint, you're gonna see more accurate data if you run it a little bit slower, but your five inch and 10 inch runs are gonna be your most important and your best place to start. Excellent, gentlemen, you've done fantastic. And I see John and Francisque are there. Um, many questions. People want to know if these presentations are going to be available after the fact. And I think that's a good question for, for yes. Francisque. Yes, yes, and yes. <laughs> Absolutely. Great job, guys. 
uh, I, I was, you know, Jim, uh, I was watching in the audience and I, I saw Gabrielle, uh, uh, Gabrielle Casella, uh, you know, from Science in Argentina watching us right now. And that just reminded me, like, uh, I'll share a little story. Uh, Jim and I were invited to Argentina, I don't know, 10 years ago uh, to, uh, to a wonderful event called Turismo Caratera. Ed uh, was there as well, and uh, uh, they took us around to see all, I mean, the racing in Argentina is fabulous. It's incredible. And then they invited us uh, in the evening to uh, deliver a talk to a tech university. So they had a university, was packed with, you know, uh, kids, I mean, kids, they were in their 20s, like engineers and very smart. And uh, and so uh, we were invited, I was invited to talk about, you know, the racing market and uh, and uh, and I got a little applause and people were happy. And then Jim came on and then started to talk about, uh, you know, shocks and the things. It went on for three hours. <laughs> it was, it went from 11.30 p.m. Jim was like falling. I mean, just that was unbelievable. I mean, they were asking questions left and right, and I, I mean, fascinating presentation. Jim, Jim like stole the show, uh, and I'm sure everybody that every guy that watched that uh, uh, that presentation is racing with the Penske shop right now. So that was fascinating, and uh, but that tells us also, you know, what this industry is about. It's global. It's about passion and. And yeah, we have 110 countries represented in attendance. And uh, hello, uh, Gabriele. Uh, oh, Gabriele, say hi. You see, he's putting a little uh, hello. One record from Argentina to my friends. Uh, thank you very much, Gabriele. <laughs> We're happy you're there. When I saw your name, I was, uh, I just remind me that great stories uh, we had together. Uh, and we'll invite you back. Uh, I mean, the race industry week ends tonight. I wish, I, I think I'm going to continue. Honestly, uh, <laughs> over the weekend, no. But seriously, we uh, we're going to go back uh, um, in the beginning of January 2021 into the Trade Live Tech Webinar Series. So we go back into our weekly uh, schedule, and then we have a lot more coming uh, with our great friend at Racers. We'll do more of online racing this week. We'll do more of those tech webinars. Uh, they are a wonderful way to connect, engage, interact with one another. And, uh, and thank you for being part of this webinar. So gentlemen, thank you. Thanks guys. Registering on ePARTrade is easy. Fill out your name, email, phone number, and create a secure password. Next, select your business type. Choose supplier if you're looking to display products or services and connect with buyers. Choose racing business if you're looking to find new parts and connect with suppliers. Choose race team if you own or are a member of a professional racing team. Begin typing your company name. We most likely already have your company in our database, which you can select from the drop-down. Then, enter your job title. Choose Claim Company if you'll be editing your company profile. Other members of your company can choose Join Company if they'd like to use ePARTrade as well. You can view and agree to our terms of use here. If you'd like to receive our weekly newsletter, choose Accept. Click Register Now and your registration will be submitted for approval. You'll need to confirm your email once it goes through. 
to keep our platform industry only, you'll be approved shortly after. If we require additional proof of business, we'll reach out. Welcome to ePartrade.